Tequila. What's your name? Django. Can you spell it? D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. I know. What is up and welcome welcome back to Rotten Potatoes, uh, where four friends review movies that you absolutely should have seen already. My name's Tyler and I'm here with uh, the three best friends that anybody could have. I used to be a single wolf in a wolf pack. <laughs> and then there were two. And then there were two. <laughs> and then we added the other two. And now we're four people in a wolf pack. That clip was from The Hangover? Yep. I don't remember that. You don't that's remember what, that's what we're the, That's what we're viewing. Okay. I didn't. I didn't watch that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what did you watch? I watched Django. Oh, well, let's do that one instead then. Oh. All right. Yeah. Let's pivot. Zach, you're, you're good with that, right? I, I came up with a lot of really good trivia for Hangover, so I think we should stick with it. We're just going to throw that away. Okay. Just include the bits of trivia from the Hangover as we review Django. Okay. 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 <laughs> Got it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? My name is Zach. I'm Jake. I'm Scott. And uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, thank you guys for uh, for tuning in. We're going to be reviewing uh, my nomination today, Django Unchained. Um, it often gets just shortened to being called Django, but the, the full movie title, Django Unchained, uh, it had to be called that because uh, there was a movie in 1966 called Django. Uh, it was a spaghetti western that actually inspired this movie. Quentin Tarantino, we talked about it in our Pulp Fiction episode, that he is obsessed with the old classic spaghetti westerns. And we see that in pretty much all of his movies. They're like, you know, it's it's just that very, like, iconic style, very iconic sound, you know. And um, so he created this movie based on that. And the actor that we just heard asking Django uh, what his name was and how he spelled it, and he says, I know, that was the lead actor of the 1966 movie Django. That was a pretty cool little nod. And, like, I... Never would have known if the internet didn't tell me that. Yeah, totally. Totally. I would have never known if Tyler hadn't told me that right now. Yeah. The <laughs> internet didn't talk to me. Tyler did. Oh, the internet doesn't talk to you guys? No. <laughs> well, I have some other fun trivia for you that uh, Mike Tyson revealed that he appeared in this film to fund his drug habit and that he was high on cocaine when he was shooting the scenes. That that, that might have been the hangover. Still making trivia. a hangover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm not positive. <laughs> I already forgot that, that was a bit, and I was like, "When was my <laughs> He's not. I legit it. thought at first. You, I was like, "Are you thinking of Jamie Fox?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. I was like, "Mike Tyson was he one of the fighters?" Like, <laughs> that would have been an interesting move. Uh, we're jumping way ahead, but that would have been an interesting move to have Mike Tyson in this movie. We have real short memories in this room, apparently. Yeah. That was less you know, than a minute funny ago. Is before I thought that, I was thinking. Jake's probably going to say a bit of trivia from the hangover. And then you started thinking about Mike Tyson and I immediately was like, that's not the hangover. And I started thinking about this movie. Well, we are doing Django Unchained. Uh, this movie was uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino. It was released on Christmas day, 2012. Uh, I actually saw this in theaters with my dad on Christmas. Hmm. Uh, and did you meet Quentin Tarantino? Then? I did not. Just no. Zach. This was at the mission Grove, uh, 
uh, movie theater. So I think he's a regular. I don't think Quentin was there. You didn't go to the Hollywood Bowl. I didn't go to the Hollywood Bowl. Mm. I think I also watched this with you in theaters too. Yeah, I watched after the fact, mm-hmm. uh, like a couple days later. I, I was like, hey, let's go see this. I, uh, no, I, I was there it. with your family too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. My family doesn't Christmas celebrate Christmas. <laughs> yeah. No, they do. You just don't. That's why you went to the movies, right? What are you, what are you talking about? You guys go to the movies to celebrate Christmas? Yeah, I mean, for real, my family does do that. That's why yeah, I that's saw this thing. on Christmas yeah, Day with it's my just, dad in theaters. Yeah. I don't like Tyler to and I went Christmas. with my dad to go see... Uh, uh, what movie did we see? Oh, it was the one with uh, Chris Pratt and J-Law. Passengers. 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 We saw that on Christmas. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, pretty much every year that's what uh, my family does is we'll uh, you know have breakfast, we'll do the whole gift exchange and then we'll go watch two or three movies in theaters two or two or three really wow yeah sometimes only one but like we've done it before uh where we saw several movies Mm. back to back to back um that's kind of cool yeah and so the rest of my family went to go see something else but my dad really wanted to see Django, and i really wanted to see it i love quentin tarantino and i was just like thrilled that my dad wanted to see it uh, and so he and I went and watched this movie together. Did he like it? He loved it. He was cracking up. Uh, he he thought it was a great film. Yeah. Uh, well, this did uh, $425 million in box office on a $100 million budget. Nice. It's a lot of money. It was uh, Tarantino's most expensive uh, production. Is it still... Yeah, I believe so. Uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, did about ninety million. I didn't look to see if Hateful Eight was maybe more expensive, but I, I, doubt, I doubt it. It was just in one room. One room, yeah. Uh, and so that's uh, another one I haven't seen. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I oh, really Hateful, like it. I I don't even know if that's something that we maybe we will or won't do it on this podcast. But regardless, you and I are going to watch that. I think you'd like it. Uh, this. Uh, the other guys gave this an 87%. IMDb gave it an 8.4, which is one of the closest to like, uh, like gaps between Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb that I've seen. Mm-hmm. That's one of our highest IMDb. Wait, 8.4? I thought uh, Pulp Fiction only got an 8.1. Yeah. This is also a I think top Pulp 10 has movie? a 9.1. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. 9.1. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. But I do just want to point out, according to Rotten Tomatoes, still worse than Face Off. True. True. Worse than face off. Is that going to be our, our benchmark? Bar? Yeah, for sure. It will be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this won uh, the Academy Award for best screenplay as well as best supporting actor for Christoph Waltz. You know, it like it's tough to say who I thought was the best supporting actor because Christoph Waltz was amazing and Leo was amazing. And what about uh, Quentin Tarantino playing an Aussie? That was not great. <laughs> that was one of the roughest Australian accents I've ever heard. <laughs> I never can remember what he looks like. And so you guys reference him being in his movies. And I'm like, oh, I guess that was him. He's one of the most interesting looking people. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. so hard to forget what he looks <laughs> yeah. like. He's the least forgettable face just because he's so goofy looking. How many um, best screenplays has he won now? I feel like he wins a lot. Uh, yeah. And he still has never won best director. Has really? he not? I don't believe so. That's crazy. Because I, I think that for uh, last year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a lot of people were hoping that that would be his year, and he didn't win it. I loved Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did I, you? Yeah, I really did. I did. Oh, for some reason, I thought you didn't like it. Yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, I was like, I don't even know what I watched, but I liked it. And then well, I thought about it more, and I really liked it. you gotten that. that fight on Twitter about uh, Brad Pitt and Leo, who was hotter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
No, you were trying to argue that Timothy Oliphant is just, hotter than Brad Pitt. I was just saying that Brad Pitt wasn't the most attractive person. And what did you movie. Google? Uh, Brad Pitt ugly and Leonardo DiCaprio handsome. <laughs> yeah, and you used that as like your... Oh, your yeah, argument. I used like a 21-year-old picture of Leo and then like a 40-year-old picture of uh Of Brad Pitt. He was like eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, and his and he, was he was so out. fat. <laughs> so uh, Tarantino has been nominated. His movies have been nominated for Best Picture four times and he's never won. Uh, he's been nominated for Best Director three times and never won. Uh, but he's uh, been nominated for four times for Best Screenplay and won two of those, Pulp Fiction and Django. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Christoph Waltz uh, won uh, uh, Best Supporting Actor twice with him. He won for Inglorious as he well. He won for Inglorious and for Django. I can, I can see both of those. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. 100%. Um, but yeah, so this one, uh, uh, best screenplay and best, uh, supporting actor for Waltz. And then it was nominated for, uh, best cinematography, best picture and best sound editing, but did not win those. That almost kind of makes me a little bit more upset that Leo didn't win for this instead of Chris, because Christoph had just won prior. Right. And I think this is Leo's probably, oh, he's had a lot, but one of best. Well, it's funny because... Uh, that would have almost been an insult to Leo since he had still yet to have gotten a best actor. So to get best supporting actor would have been a little bit of slap in the face. I guess so. Because this was the first time in 16 years that Leo was not the top build actor. Do you think that's why they held out and then nominated him for Revenant? I would guess so. Mm. I would guess that they, I would guess that the Academy didn't want to slight him further yeah. By saying, yeah, you're just not good enough to be best actor, but when you're the yeah. when you're playing third or fourth fiddle, you're okay. If you take the politics <laughs> out of it, do you think though that Calvin Candy is a that that role deserves the Oscar over no. his revenant? I feel like Christoph oh, oh, over his revenant role, the one that he won for. I, sure. Uh, I, I mean, it's so. kind of apples I and do. oranges, but I think that Christoph Waltz's yeah, he performance was, was better. People in this. Really? this is the first time I've ever seen him in anything. But uh, Tarzan, huh? you definitely have saw you that? seen the new the. You we guys saw have that, like on your that? birthday together. I think we saw Tarzan. Yeah, the, the live action Tarzan. <laughs> if you would have asked me if I've seen Tarzan, I would have said no. Well, well, I re- we watched it together. <laughs> He's in that? Is he the yeah, villain? He's the bad guy. He's the bad guy, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and is not playing this type of a character at all. Like, he's not, like... It must have been wily. really bad. I must have blocked it from my memory. Oh, it was the rough. thing is that, like, I can't think of, besides Quentin Tarantino movies, I can't think of any other movie that Christoph Waltz is in that's, like, an American movie that is really good. I can't Tarzan, we just said. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, the movie that you forgot you saw on your birthday. <laughs> it was that good. <laughs> We saw that on my birthday. I think we did. Well, he was we, Inspector. He was the villain Inspector, uh, uh, James right. Bond, yeah. uh, which he did very well in. Um, he is going to be in uh, the next James Bond movie. Uh, oh, the one, if it ever gets released. Yeah. No Time to Die. Uh, hopefully it gets released. It was supposed to be released this year, but COVID, so. We'll see. We'll what's, see. What's COVID? Uh, he was you also should probably know about COVID by this point. <laughs> <laughs> this was a terrible movie that I just saw the other day for the first time. He was in Downsizing with Matt Damon. Oh, that looked terrible. It was that so awful. bad. It was so so bad. Uh, he was in Horrible Bosses Two. 
I never saw that. I was only saw the first downsizing. One. I remember coming home and you and our other roommate were kind of disappointed. And I was like, what's wrong? And you said, well, we just watched downsizing. Yeah. And it was bad. It was supposed to, I thought it was a comedy, but it wasn't a comedy. It was not a comedy. Really? No, I, I would not have guessed that. From yeah. It was a, it was a, like a, uh, uh, it was like an environmental activist type Thing. Like it was very wow. political. Like be careful of the resources you're using. Right, exactly. Yeah. Is, that, is that, everybody should get small so resources go farther? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that Cameron Crow who directed that? Maybe. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Why? Who's Cameron Cameron Crow? He directed uh like Almost Famous, Jerry Maguire. Oh, I do want to know Alexander list. Payne. Directed. Oh, that's right. I kind of, yeah, I confused them. They both had some good movies at the beginning of their careers and haven't really made a good one in a while. Uh, so uh, Alexander Payne, who uh, uh, directed uh, Downsizing, uh, also directed uh, Nebraska, which you and I loved. Yeah, I did love that one. So, yeah. Anyway, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christoph Waltz, though, um, he, uh, um, I, I could be... I could be wrong, but I think that he was really uh, like more so a uh, a German actor and acted in some uh, British movies, um, like some foreign films. And it was, uh, I believe, it was Tarantino who first brought him to the American audience in *Inglorious Bastards*. I think so because I had never heard of him before that. Yeah, and I remember everyone raving about him because I didn't see *Inglorious Bastards* in theaters, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Who's this? Who is Christoph Waltz? Who are you guys even talking about?" Yeah, and he came like he came in as a tour de force, like, mm-hmm. uh, and and I thought he was in this too. I thought he was terrific. All right, so uh, I nominated this movie, uh, and I I absolutely loved it. Like I said, I saw it with my dad in theaters, and days later told Zach, hey, we got to go see this. And I think I saw it again in theaters with someone else. Quick Uh, question. If you can pick, I know it's hard, but if you can pick a favorite Tarantino, what is it? Inglorious. Inglorious is, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was, uh, this was up there for me until, uh, once upon a time. Yeah, same. But I would say my least favorite, uh, Tarantino movie, at least that I've seen, I never saw Jackie Brown. Yeah. I haven't seen that one either. Um, but, uh, my least favorite are the Kill Bill. Yeah. I don't really like Kill Bill that much. Movies. Uh, yeah. I like Kill Bill. It's pretty mid tier. Jackie Brown is my least favorite. Okay. And the thing, I think why is because Jackie Brown, um, Quentin Tarantino didn't write that one. Oh, gotcha. He only directed it. Gotcha. So it feels a little off from the rest of them, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I love this film. It's it's such a fun time. I also feel like it has, like, one of the things that Tarantino does a lot is, like, what I think a lot of people would call, like, revisionist history mm-hmm. um, is he reaches out... It, often in in his movies not all the time but often he reaches out for a uh disenfranchised person or people and gives them an opportunity to be the hero uh and to to like sort of project that back to the world as like isn't this great like shouldn't this just be how it how it was yeah you know um and i love that uh that was inglorious where you had this uh you know special unit of uh commandos that were all jews fighting the germans you know and and i i love that i love getting the opportunity 
to look at something back in history and say, man, it really would have been better if, Mm -hmm. you know, so I love Django for that. Um, but, uh, Zach, uh, you had seen this movie before. Yes. I think we saw it together. We did. At least once. So, you know that I have definitely, uh, I, I do love this movie. Um, yeah, I don't think I can say anything else that you haven't already. It's great. Uh, everyone, everyone is great in this movie. Christoph Waltz, Leo, Samuel Jackson. This is one of my favorite Samuel Jackson roles. Um, I think it's funny. I think it's interesting. I think it's tense. Uh, my only knock against it is spoilers. When once Christoph and Leo die, and we still have like thirty minutes left of the movie, it just feels a little anticlimactic. Yeah, and I'm not as invested in it after that point. The falling action isn't great. I wish that we could have somehow wrapped up the film in that moment. Otherwise, yeah. it might be like top, top one, top two ish. You know, quick yeah. turn. You know, for me. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't really hold that against it because everything before that is so freaking good, um, and I love it. And I love his revisionist history aspect that he has kind of come to integrate into a lot of his movies. I think it's super interesting. Uh, so yeah, I love it. Jake, you had seen this before as well, right? Yeah, like most, actually every Tarantino movie, I wasn't allowed to watch it for a long time, so I, <laughs> I came across it not that long ago. And I, I well, just, it's not that old. Yeah, that's true. But I, I think this is the first Tarantino movie I watched. Oh, um, nice. And I really, I really liked it, and then I never watched it again. I think it was on Netflix, and then went off Netflix, and I just didn't get around to watching it. So I was excited when you picked it, um, and I saw it was back on Netflix, and I'd been meaning to watch it again. Like some of the scenes. It's it's tough to watch, but I think that I still liked it, and there were a lot of there's a lot of fun and entertaining. I did, but I agree with you about the the last thirty minutes when I was watching it this time. I was like, I'm kind of ready for this to wrap. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, you you kind of mentioned that there were some scenes in this that were <clears throat> they were hard to watch. So much to the point where Tyler, you were kind of telling us beforehand that Leo really had a hard time Mm -hmm. doing this role. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Leo plays Calvin Candy, who is a a slaver and a plantation owner and a just miserable human being. And there's this line even where uh, we're introduced to him where Christoph Waltz, uh, who plays uh, Dr. King Schultz, uh, uh, he says to Django, uh, oh, went to Candyland. Have you heard of Candyland? And Django says, there's not a slave in America who hasn't heard of Candyland. Uh, so clearly like a very infamous place. And and we learn, you know, a very infamous place because this man is so violent and unhinged. And uh, he had a really rough time playing this character. And uh, Samuel, Sam Jackson pulled him aside at one point because in one scene he like stopped, he stopped the production because he was having a hard time with how many times he had to use the, the N word. And Sam Jackson pulled him aside and said, listen, man, this is just, this is just a Tuesday for us. Mm. Uh, and so like that, I, I, I appreciated reading that, you know, Sam Jackson's spirit of like, no, this needs to be told and it needs to, it needs to be shown like this. And Tarantino even told uh, Leo, he said, if you pull your punches playing this character, everyone's going to hold it over your head for the rest of your life that you just didn't, you didn't play the part. Yeah. Um, it's hard. We get it. Uh, but this is real to a certain extent. Like it's, it's acting, it's a story, but like this, mm. this is very real that this is a part of, part of history yeah. and it's an ugly part of history that, that 
needs to be painted as ugly. Like I'm, we can't, wa- pardon the pun, but we can't whitewash sure. how vicious and violent some of these people were. And I'm glad he had that mindset that he instilled into Leo and that Quentin just himself didn't pull any punches with this movie. Yeah. Um, and with just with the kind of political climate we're in right now, I've seen some people kind of come against Quentin yeah. for some of his racial takes, I guess, in his films. And um, I'm, I feel like this is done very well. Um, I feel like uh, I don't feel like this movie or Quentin really in any of his movies is ever glorifying any of this kind of stuff. But he's just, like you said, showing it for how brutal and despicable it really was. Yeah. And I think he, I think it's all better for it that it is hard to watch at times. Well, and Tarantino even said at one point in an interview that Calvin Candy is the only character he's ever created that he truly despised, which is crazy because there's a lot of like unlikable characters. Like Jake, you were mentioning Hans Landa yeah. from Inglorious. He was, oh. I can't believe he doesn't despise him. Or, <laughs> or even Zed from Pulp Fiction. The yeah. guy who sexually molests Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. And for no other reason than they just he just happened to wander into a shop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> uh but uh yeah, so it it's it is a, a rough it, it's rough to watch at times. Tarantino even said that the original film was even more uh violent than mm. the final print. Uh, and he had kind of cut some things down because he didn't want to, in his words, traumatize the audience. So it's really interesting. You also mentioned that um, Django was originally written for Will Smith. Correct? Yeah, yeah. It or, is kind of hard to picture Will Smith in that brutal of a film. I think that's probably why he turned it down. I he, think so too. Yeah, his uh, his uh, agent and his manager were urging him to take it, and he turned it down for personal reasons. And then presumably went on to make After Earth which was a real winner. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love after earth? Scott, you were our uh, late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of this movie? What did you guys think? I thought, I, I think you liked it. You, I think you liked it. It's kind of always looks right at me. Like, what did you guys think? I thought, and then he just stares me down. Jake has a real insecurity about eye contact. I'm learning <laughs> from <laughs> making yeah. this. It's just because people look at me like they're expecting me to say something, <laughs> and I know that uh, nobody can see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. I think it's my favorite Tarantino movie I've seen so far. I liked it more than Pulp. I liked it more than um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, it was just super entertaining the whole time. This is going to be one of my higher rated films. Cool. Hey, that's uh, I I uh, I told Scott the other day uh, that uh, I thought he would like uh, Inglorious more than uh, Django, and he was like, I, I mean, I like Django. And I was like, oh, well, so I I don't want to answer because mm-hmm. I I already I already knew you liked it. So. Well, I think we're gonna have to do Inglorious soon maybe we'll take a rest from a tarantino for a little bit yeah it's hard to take a rest from such a prolific director though yeah, you know what i mean yeah. like especially one that we all really love yeah, yeah 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 uh well uh i'll jump in a little bit to the play-by-play um and uh so we we open up uh with uh this uh, the, uh a group of slaves who have just come from an auction uh, and they're walking through the woods at night being led by their uh, captors. And uh, along comes this cart, this like, uh, like 
it honestly reminded me so much of like something out of like the wizard of Oz, like the, the guy in the beginning of the wizard of Oz, the magician that has that like traveling cart thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just looks so like kind of ridiculous and goofy. And it has this giant tooth hanging up off the top on, a, on spring. a spring. Yeah. And, uh, in the, in the driver's seat is, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, who introduces himself as Dr. King Schultz. And he's looking for, uh, Django and, uh, a uh like really great dialogue throughout this movie but like good dialogue back and forth between uh waltz and between these uh uh slavers and between waltz and Django. but it ends up sort of ending in a little bit of a gunfight which all of a sudden we we realize that this dr king schultz although formerly a dentist and now a bounty hunter is quite a gunfighter yeah i really wasn't ready for that and it even took me off guard the second time when I kind of knew it was going. I was like, I remember he's going to shoot these guys. But I was like, oh, it's it's going. Right it's now. happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he he is very cordial. Like the yeah. character is very like uh, well spoken, very friendly, very friendly, even with people that he hates apparently. And like a couple of times in this exchange with the slavers, he he uses like he has a very elevated diction, and they're like, speak English. <laughs> he's like, I'm sorry, that's, it's that's, my second language. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing is that it's it's hilarious to me that quentin writes all of these and it's so funny because like so many of these people at the time would think that they're superior right but he writes all of the american white guys as so dumb like they're all so dumb and despicable well and uh it's funny that you say american white guys uh later in the movie um there's this really violent scene where uh Calvin Candy, who we'll, we'll talk more about, but there's this really violent scene and, and Candy says to, uh, to Django, to Django right? like, oh, I think your boss uh, can't stay in the sight of blood. And he says, uh, no, he's just not as used to Americans as no, I am. He says like, he's just never seen a, a guy get ripped apart by dogs. Well, he says that, but first he says he's not as used to Americans as I am. Yeah, yeah, he does say that. And it's like, ooh, man, okay, yeah. all right, hot, hot, uh, mm-hmm. hot line right there. For sure. Um, but uh, Dr. King Schultz ends up uh, uh, purchasing, I, I put air quotes up, purchasing Django. Like he does pay the guys for Django. I thought it was very interesting. Like he did, he did everything, like he does everything so by the books, even though he did, he like he's left these guys for dead. Well, he killed one and he left the other one for dead, but he insists on the bill of sale and he insists yeah. on paying. Which I yeah. love because I feel like to me, this is like, he's not stooping down to these guys level. Yeah. Right. Like he's above them. He's right. going to, he has a code and yeah. he's going to live by that code. Yeah. And, and so he pays them and then uh, he walks up to the, to the rest of the slaves and he, I think he even throws them the keys to their chains and he's like, now, as I see things, you have two options. You can carry this uh, spec brother uh, to the nearest town, uh, which is, I think, 40 miles back the way you came, or you can dispatch him, bury them deep into the ground and head to a more enlightened part of this country. And for those of you astronomers uh, among us, the North Star is that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was just a great, like, it was just, I mean, obviously so memorable to me. It's uh, grade A writing from Tarantino yeah. and grade A delivery from Walt. Oh, yeah. It's, and it sets the tone so well. Yeah, and so that's how we open this movie. Um, but what what's really happened is that uh, 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 Dr. King Schultz... Um, is a uh, he's a bounty hunter and he's looking for the brittle brothers uh, he has a bounty for them for thousands of dollars 
uh, dead or alive, and he needs Django to help him identify the Brittle Brothers because Django came from the plantation, the Karugan plantation where they worked, and he knows what they look like. That's something that's very interesting to me that like he's going to identify, he needs somebody to identify these people. Like there's no pictures on the papers, but then he hands off these papers and people are very willing to just accept that these are the people that he says they are. <laughs> I was like, this is risky. Like there's no way, like what if they just don't believe you? I, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that just in general in, in that's the, why he often threatens like the, you know, and if you interfere with this, like here's the penalty. Like he says a few times when he's in, talking with those people, like what they're, what they're up against if they don't believe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think that in the 1840s, people were a lot more easily conned because people just went along with what, it, what other people said a lot more yeah. readily. Like there wasn't like, well, I don't believe that. I'm going to Google it. Like, there really, you know, like, uh, but uh, Django agrees to, to help him. And, uh, and they, uh, they have a, a couple of uh, uh, fun, funny moments uh, and eventually get to uh, this plantation where uh, the the Brittle Brothers are, and this was uh, the the my like runner up for our audio intro uh, was this uh, he uh, kills the first uh, of the Brittle Brothers uh, Django does, and he says, "I like the way you die, boy." Uh, I loved that line. It was just so a good line, so good. It was a callback, uh, and they show a flashback of Django. Uh, and Django's wife being abused by this man. And he says, I like the way you beg boy to Django. And so Django responds with, I like the way you die boy. It was good. Was this before or after, uh, they have him shoot that guy from afar on the farm? Uh, this was before. Okay. Yeah. This was before, right before. Uh, and so, uh, we meet though, (laughs) Uh, I, I, I skipped over some things, but there's just a lot of movie to talk about and I don't want us to get too like bogged mm. down, but we meet, uh, the, the brittle brothers are on this plantation owned by a man named big daddy played by Don Johnson. Just spectacularly. Who's always the first person you think of when, uh, you need a, a racist old white, <laughs> a racist old white guy, Don Johnson might as well be, uh, he might as well be like a, a better spoken billing vol. Like, you know, I'm not sure who that is. He's a comedian. He's the redneck comedian that does the. Uh, you might be. You might be a redneck. Oh, if, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he comes out, and I. You would have sworn that Colonel Sanders walked out of this house. <laughs> yeah. like just. Yeah, I, that's really all I had to say about him. Yeah, uh, but but he himself is is fairly well spoken, although just a a awful human being. Yeah. Until what? What, what do they say to get him to? come around he uh he says uh that he schultz uh his whole thing with Django is that they're always conning yeah in order to get access to the bounties and so he says you know we're gonna play a part and you're going to be my valet and uh and he's there to uh purchase a slave for and he says you know give me one reason why i shouldn't just shoot you or whatever and he says i'll give you five thousand good reasons oh yeah yeah uh and so he's like, well, come on in. <laughs> Can we get you some cold to drink? <laughs> uh, but they, uh, they kill uh, all three Brittle brothers. Uh, and, and another one of my favorite moments is the, the third Brittle brother is, <laughs> is, is, is riding away. 
and and Waltz runs up to Django and he's like, "What have you done?" And he's like, "Them them's the Brittle Brothers." And he's like, "Where's the third one?" And he's like, "He's the one hightailing it through the field over there." And Waltz like picks up his rifle and is taking his sweet time adjusting it, and he says, "That's this other Brittle Brother." And he says, "Yes." And he says, "Are you positive?" And he said, "No," or he said. Uh, yes. I don't know. He said, are you positive? He says, I don't know. And he said, you don't know if you're positive. And he says, I don't know what positive means. And he says, it means, are you sure? And he said, yes, I'm sure that that's this brittle brother. And he shoots him. And then Django says, I'm positive. He dead. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great line. I, I love Jamie Foxx in this movie. I mean, we've talked a lot about Christoph Waltz, but I love Jamie Foxx in this. I think he delivers his part perfectly. He's not an actor that I'm particularly fond of. Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is probably the only thing I've seen Jamie Foxx in that I was like, I liked him in this. Yeah. I don't I don't remember like nothing even comes to mind that I've seen him in like I know I have, but I it's just so not memorable. For I me. liked him in Horrible Bosses. <laughs> yeah. I did too. He was He's pretty funny good in that. Yeah. He's funny. Uh I liked uh I liked him in Ray Charles. I don't know if you guys saw Ray Charles. It was good. No, I haven't. Kind of funny. Uh this movie is the second time that he's been married to Kira Washington. Like his oh, character really? has been married. Really? Uh, he played Ray Charles in the movie Ray Charles uh-huh. and Kira Washington played his wife, mm. which is just funny. kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, but after this, uh, Django and uh, uh, Schultz decide to team up for the winter. And uh, he agrees to, to help to give Django. Uh, he's now a free man and he agrees to give Django 30% of his bounties uh, if uh, if he helps him. Yeah, I was unclear on why the split was 30% and not 50-50. I mean, I guess he's teaching him. I don't know anything else why, but I was like, why didn't they just... He seems he seems like the kind of guy that would split it all with him. Um, but then I guess that's when we find out that Django has a wife mm-hmm. that he's looking to get back to. Broomhilda von Schaft. Who, um, oh my gosh, I forgot his name. Kid Dr. King is just very excited to tell him their old German fairy tale, which I've forgotten most of at this point yeah i mean it's essentially like you know the america like our version or their version of like our sort of like princess locked in a castle kind of a thing yeah yeah but the character's name is Brumhilda, and that's jamie or Django's wife's name and uh so uh schultz says that uh uh he would like to help him uh find and free his wife uh, and he says, why, why do you care what happens to me? And he says, well, for a German to meet a real life Siegfried is quite a thing, you know? So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool turn of events. Interestingly. So Bromhilde von Schaft, like they bring up her name several times. Uh, supposedly, uh, Django and Broomhilda are the great, great, great grandparents of John Shaft. How do, like, how do they get to make that call? About I, who's the grandparents of Shaft. That's Tarantino for you, man. Like, he just loves connecting things to other things. Like, creating grand universes. So. And I can't imagine the creator of Shaft would just be like, no. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a cool connection. Yeah. Just let it exist. Why not, yeah. you know? All right. And they're they're clearly badass, both of them. So, yeah, you know, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I didn't actually see Shaft. Shaft. <laughs> that's you Star-Hope timed that me. really well. Yeah. <laughs> Did we get past the KKK part yet? Uh, no. We're coming no, up to but it. <laughs> why don't you just take us there? Well, it turns out, um, I forgot what led up to it. 
Well, it was just that uh, they didn't like uh, Big Daddy. Didn't, he didn't like, like the, the way that that all went down. The way he that that killed all the brittle yeah, con them to get on their property and kill them. So it turns out Big Daddy is part of the KKK, and the KKK get together. Um, they want to go and kill Django and Doctor Schultz. Jonah Hill is one of the KKK members, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was so surprising to me the first so time. So we see them all kind of. Well, first of all, we see them storming King's uh, stagecoach, uh-huh. and then it cuts to just moments before. And they're all gathered around and they're talking about whether they're going to put their bags on or not. And then they put them on and then Big Daddy's like, I can't see anything out of these <laughs> holes. And it's, this is just one of my favorite parts in that it's it's just solid comedy. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's hilarious. And then they're like, yeah, I can't see. Like, Robert, can you see? Not too good. Not too good. <laughs> who, was, who was in charge of these? It was George's wife. Yeah. <laughs> we all agree that the bags were a good idea. <laughs> they could have been done a little bit better. That's all I'm saying. He, he leaves. He's all pissed off. <laughs> Jonah Hill's like ripping his. He's like, oh, I ruined it. I made it worse. Then we don't have an bag. <laughs> I'm just asking. <laughs> oh, so man. then we cut back to them running and they can't see anything because their bags are so poorly made. <laughs> And then as they get and they storm the stagecoach and they're, they get under the stagecoach, realize that they're not actually there. It's just like a prop body. Django and Schultz are removed and they've loaded the, uh, the stagecoach with explosives. And then he lets Django. Oh, no. He, no, he shoots. Schultz, yeah. Shoots the stagecoach and it I'll explodes. I'll see the saying. <laughs> yeah. And then they all are scrambling around and then. Big Daddy's trying to get out of there, and he's running. And again, he's just messing with his bag because he can't see anything. And so he hands the gun over to Django, and he lets Django take a shot. And then he kills Big Daddy. He says uh, he's getting away. Like yeah. he's like, and Django's like, I got him, I got him, and and it nails a a very far, very difficult shot. It's the scene that didn't need to be in the movie, and I'm so happy that it did. Yeah, it was, and I don't know why. Jonah Hill being in it makes yeah. it a hundred times better for me. That was honestly my favorite part of it was that Jonah Hill ripped the bag off and it was Jonah Hill. And it makes me wonder if Quentin Tarantino was like a big 21 Jump Street film or a fan <laughs> because he put Jonah Hill in and then in The Hateful Eight he puts Channing Tatum. Channing in. Tatum, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jonah Hill was actually supposed to have a bigger role in the movie. Oh, really? And it got cut. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, he was he Jonah Hill's character was actually going to have a connection to uh, Brumhilda von Schaft's family, hmm. like the ones that name her Brumhilda. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. uh, but it all that all just got cut out of the movie. Mm. I mean, it's a long movie, so oh, yeah, it's I, a really I understand. <laughs> got to cut some things, uh, and so uh, Schultz decides that uh, that Django's a natural. And uh, he is quite a gunfighter. Yeah, that was great. Like the first time I was watching, I was thinking like, how does he know how to shoot so well? Like I've shot a couple of times before and there's no way that you could give me a gun and make that shot right now. (laughs) And I feel like he must have shot fewer times than I have in his life. Yeah, I I would say probably zero times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that it was very common in the 1800s for slaves to be given weapons. So uh, King uh, begins to train uh, Django, and they take him on uh, some some bounties, and uh, uh, all the while they're uh, sort of saving up for the winter so that they can uh, go and concoct this plan to save Brumhilda uh, from her captivity, and they find out that she is at a place called Candyland, which is an infamous plantation. We've already talked about it a little bit. Infamous plantation for its infamously brutal owner calvin candy 
And uh, we get introduced to him in a really weird setting at some place called the Cleopatra Room or the Cleopatra Club. Yeah, this was the first of the scenes where I was like, this is rough to watch. Because they're all just hanging out and they're just watching two people, two slaves beat each other to death. Yeah. And it is brutal. Like they're slick with blood. And I was like, oh, I just want this scene to to cut. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's hard. It's hard to watch. Uh, And Calvin Candy is a, I I would call him like, he's kind of a megalomaniac. Like he's very obsessed with himself. His lawyer in talking to Schultz before he introduces him, uh, he says, oh, uh, he prefers to be called Monsieur Candy uh, because he's a bit of a Francophile. And uh, Schultz speaks French and he says, don't speak to him in French. He doesn't understand it, and it will it will uh, make him feel inferior or something yeah. like that. <laughs> like, he's just a very frad... Like, for being as violent as he is, he's clearly a very... He has a very fragile ego. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they try to uh, con Candy into getting onto his property to look for Bromhilda uh, by uh, Schultz masquerading as being interested in Mandingo fighting uh, and uh, introduces Django to Candy as a Mandingo expert. This is like a great plan. When I was watching, I was like, wow, this is a great idea. Like there's no way they ever would have done it. And if they would have just... If they, if Django and Broomhilda could have been a little bit better, yeah, it would have gone off of that hitch. Yeah, if they could have been more subtle, it yeah. would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get invited uh, by Candy to come uh, to his plantation, and uh, we get introduced to Stephen, uh, <laughs> played by Samuel L. Jackson. Gosh, he is. I I know you said it's one of your favorite Samuel L. Jackson roles, and I th- like he nails it. But my gosh, I hate Stephen. I just think he's so funny. Oh, yeah. He's so sassy. Even to the point, one of them says, like, man, the lip on that guy, it's getting worse and worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of my favorite parts, he's like, he's going to stay up in the big house. <laughs> and it's like, Steven, are you okay with that? I'm okay with it as long as you're okay with burning the sheets and the pillows. <laughs> Which was crazy to me, too, was just like that even back then, like that slaves were seen, that even other black people found slaves to be so inferior. Yeah. You know? Well, and uh, Django says to Schultz, he says, you want me to be a black slaver? That's the worst kind of person. It's worse than the the head N-word, which, by the way, this movie has the record for most uses of the N-word in any film ever, uh, more so even than 12 Years a Slave. Like, it's mm. rough. Uh, and that's what Stephen was. He was the head, the, the head slave of the house. 12 Years a Slave really does just feel like the more serious version of this movie. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I didn't see it. It's We're going to do it for the pod. Okay. Oh, I thought point. you would at some point. <laughs> no. I mean, I think I it's going to be I it's going to be no fun to talk about. I was I thought that you would um, react strongly to that. I don't I, necessarily know if we should. I don't know that we should necessarily do that episode, but I will say it's absolutely a movie that you should we, see. Yeah, you should see it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I put it on my list somewhere. It's just anytime I have to watch movies right now, I feel like I'm watching podcast movies. Sure. Yeah. It's uh it's one of those movies though that you definitely need to like spend time after reflecting on, not a movie you want to spend time after talking about. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense from what I understand about it. Yeah. Uh, 
All things uh, almost go off without a hitch, but of course, uh, Broomhilda and uh, Django being reunited can't keep their excitement over each other under check, and Steven notices. And uh, he tells Candy, and in this moment that I thought was really interesting, he, you know, because he's kind of like, he's, he's like up and, you know, oh, uh, you know, and, and he tells uh, Candy, meet me in the library. And when Candy comes into the library, Stephen is sitting in the armchair drinking brandy and he's lost all of his like character. And he's just, he's telling, he's telling Candy what's what. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just so interesting that Stephen was such a diabolical person that he was even, you know, for everyone else, he was putting on an act that wasn't real. Yeah. Also, we we brushed over just how excited Candy is to see his sister. Oh, yeah. Like, it's oh, a that weird. was way too much. Way too into his sister. I was sister. like, this where is-, is my beautiful <laughs> sister? This is the South, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, widowed sister. <laughs> Uh, well, like I even like I was watching this with my girlfriend and then they were we were doing and she's like, didn't he, he say that's his sister? And I was like, <laughs> I think so. But I'm not positive, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I like I know this is a little bit in the future, but I like when she gets killed and uh, Jingo shoots her like the physics. Oh, my that. gosh. She's she's just so just through. Yeah, it's like somebody <laughs> pulled well, a hook like to her just, right. And up top, and he shoots her, and she just flies straight she, backwards. Yeah, like yeah. The other way. not even in the, yeah. the, the, the direction were, of the were, bullet. Yeah, very. It was as if she bad. had like. That's a, what. That's one thing I love about Quentin is that like he allows things to happen that really could never happen in real life, and it's almost like he allows himself these like just moments where uh, it can be a little fantastical. Just for the sake of that one is the only thing I think that pulled me out of the movie. Really? Yeah. Like I was with it the whole time. Everything else was, I mean, it's gory, but it's realistic. Yeah. That one. I was like, what happened? Like I even like stopped and like, <laughs> like asked Tyler. I was like, well, what was with that? But yeah. You laughed like you, it was, it's a funny moment. Like I just wish she would have had real physics. <laughs> Because I loved it for what it was. I loved it for what it was, especially because he like, he, he says all you black people better get away from these white people. And uh, so, you know, the two people are leaving, uh, the the two slaves that were in the room. And he says, oh, I think it was like Carrie or something like that. Say goodbye to Mrs. Loretta or whatever. And she goes, goodbye, Mrs. Loretta. Boom. And like she blows back. It was just so funny. Mm -hmm. Like it was a great moment. Yeah. But we did skip over, I think, like Leo's big scene. Important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where they everything comes out and he's confronting them and he and I'm sure everybody knows this by now but when he smacks his hand and he's on the table and he breaks the glass and he cuts his hand and I guess that happened he yeah. really hurt himself and he, and he kept, really stayed in character yeah he kept going with it mm-hmm. yeah there were there were two injuries uh, in this uh, production one was uh, and this moment in particular uh, Candy uh, smacks the table like the jig is up and he breaks the glass cuts his hand and he's like showing the blood to them and he's delivering this line and he really cut his hand and when Tarantino called cut the whole production gave him a standing ovation because he just stayed in character and nailed it and he did nail it I mean oh yeah it was a crazy intense moment and, uh, but the, the second injury is kind of funny in, in pre-production and training, Christoph Waltz fell off a horse and broke his pelvis. That's oof. Yeah. 
Rough. Uh, you said that's why he had the cart, right? Yeah, that was why they uh, they put him on a cart in the beginning. I mean, it's it sucks for Christoph Waltz, but I think that's a very happy accident for the movie because I liked the cart. I did too. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a great like plot device. Um, but uh, yeah, just kind of like funny, kind of yeah. crazy. But Candy is insane. Uh, and uh, like we mentioned, Leo kind of had trouble with uh, with the character. Um, but uh, I thought it was kind of funny. He pardon me, he used uh, Val Kilmer's performance in Tombstone as Doc Holliday as an inspiration for Calvin Candy. I, you can see it come through in just like his mannerisms and like yeah. the very like grandiose way he is. Yeah, very much so, uh, which I thought was interesting since we uh, did Tombstone. Yeah, well, it also funny because uh, Doc Holliday, real life Doc Holliday was an inspiration for Dr. King Schultz, right? Dr. King Schultz, yeah. The dentist turned outlaw gunfighter well he wasn't an outlaw i mean he was a con man though so i remember even when we were watching tombstone hearing that because i saw that after i'd seen this obviously and like remember remember hearing doc holiday's lines and kind of thinking like this almost feels a little tarantino-ish like a little like just how rich and he milks those lines and Mm -hmm. they just come out like a molasses you know Mm -hmm. it was kind of it was it was pretty cool uh so the, the, the jig is up and, uh, uh, candy, uh, says, you know, you know, you've wasted my time. You've lied to me. You were going to pay $12,000 for a Mandingo. Well, now you're going to pay $12,000 for Broomhilda and, uh, you know, doesn't really give them a, an option. And so, uh, Schultz pays him and they, you know, sign over all the papers and everything like that and sign her freedom papers that she's now a free woman. And, uh, as, uh, they're leaving candy demands that Schultz shake his hand. I couldn't imagine being as principled as Schultz is that uh, he, he walks up, he won't shake his hand and he walks up and he just shoots candy rather than shake his hand. Oh, that's yeah. why I think this is probably my favorite moment in that, like kind of what I said earlier, like he is so by the books, he has a code that he lives by and he's, he wants to do this the way that it needs to be done. Yeah. But then when candy is demanding the handshake and really just demanding respect that he does not deserve, it's like, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, he and he keeps cannot. getting the flashbacks to the dog, the dogs attacking the man. Yeah. And so like, he's just reminding the whole time of how bad of a man he is. Mm-hmm. Well, and he delivers a one of uh, this is my favorite line. So that we're, you know, I guess spoiling this. Um, my favorite line in the movie is uh, he's standing in the library, staring at the books and Candy comes in and, and he says something and he's reflecting back on this moment of the man being mauled by the dogs at Candy's order. And the man's name uh, was D'Artagnan. The, mm. the slave that, mm. that uh, Candy had given him the name D'Artagnan. And he says, you know, I'm thinking about that poor, poor man D'Artagnan. Uh, and I think, you know, I, th- I think you must be uh, a fan of the Three Musketeers having named, you know, uh, named your, your fighter after him. And he said, and I can't help but think what Alexander Dumas would think of you naming uh, a slave, you know, a slave fighter that you're forcing to do all this and the way that you treated him, naming him after one of one of his characters. And Candy says, you think he wouldn't approve? And remember, Candy is obsessed with French mm-hmm. stuff and, and The Three Musketeers was written by Alexander Dumas, who is French. And he says, you think he wouldn't approve? 
and which just shows his ignorance, you know, yeah. as much as he's, you know, uh, tries to be, you know, appear civilized that he's truly just a ignorant hick. Uh, and Waltz just looks at him and he says, Alexander Dumas is black. That was, I really did love that part. And I didn't, I don't know anything about the three musketeers. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that when it was coming up. So like, Oh man. Yeah. He really just showed him. He did. Yeah. And I love that moment and that line. And that's what really sours candy. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him demand the respect later. Yeah. yeah because he insulted him yeah. by, you know, showing his ignorance. Uh, but I love that, that Tarantino takes a moment in this, like we've said, like at times very difficult to watch and he takes special time to reveal, uh, the ignorance of his villain. And I think that that's something like culturally important for Tarantino to do, to reveal ignorance of racism and of slavery, to reveal the ignorance and to reveal the, the, the stupidity and reveal the vileness mm-hmm. of, uh, of his characters. But I love that moment. It, it just really, that's the climax moment for me is mm-hmm. that line. Yeah. But he demands the handshake. He's like, I insist. Oh, well, if you insist, then I must insist in the opposite direction. And I'm just leaving. And and Candy's just doubling down, doubling down. Like, you have to come here and shake my hand. And he walks up and shoots him right in the chest with a Derringer loaded on a spring up his sleeve. Yeah, that's a, a cool little gun that he has. There. It is. And he gave, I don't know if he gave that one to Django or he gave one to Django, but Django had. Django had one at one yeah. point, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a cool little contraption, yeah. cool gun. <clears throat> but uh, a uh, gunfight ensues, <laughs> as is very Tarantino in in good Tarantino fashion. This might be the second longest that we have to wait for a gunfight after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and this gunfight was long. Yeah, everybody dies. Everybody um, dies, and I I said to Scott at one point, like, where are all of these white people coming that's what from? I was like, does he have an army here? Like, what is going on? Because there's just more and more people, and they're just coming in waves. Yeah, like, and I love the guy that's like moaning on the ground in front of the front door. He's been shot, and he just gets shot five or six more times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just really intense, awesome gunfight. Of course, eventually. Uh, they capture Bromhilda and use her against Django. And they say, St- Stephen tells him, if you don't stop now, we're going to kill her. So Django gives up and uh, he is given away to the Quint Dixie Mining Company, uh, which is apparently the worst place that you can go. It's even worse than Candyland. And, uh, but on the way, uh, being transported, uh, by three Australians, he takes one more page out of Dr. King Schultz's book and he cons these. Uh, yeah. Earlier in the movie, he had shot and killed his first bounty that was his and he kept the handbill for it. Yeah, as good and luck. Then he pulls out that handbill and he cons the Australians, Quentin Tarantino. One of those people, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I remember you guys saying he was doing an Aussie accent. So I figured yeah. it was one of those three. Um, yeah. I don't and know which of the three. He was the one the that leader. exploded. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's the one that was carrying the dynamite. And Django shot him in the dynamite and he mm-hmm. just blew up. So he convinces them that uh, those are wanted men back there. Um, Walson Coggins, I forgot, is in this movie. Yeah, Walton Coggins, right now. Yeah. He was saying that they were all in this gang. And he convinces them to go back and collect it on the bounty. 
and then just turns on him and kills him. I don't know why he had to do that right then. I feel like he could have used the help. Personally. <laughs> I, I just think he didn't want the baggage of then having to explain later. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because if they find out, then he has to fight more people, whereas here they're off guard. But, yeah. But he goes back to Candyland, and it's right after, uh, I forgot Candy's first name. Calvin. 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 It's right after Calvin's funeral, and they're coming back, and he's in the house, and he's... Well, first, he's killed all of the goons. Yeah. Including Stone Cipher, the the guy who... he was the dog owner. Yes. He was in the bath and he gets up and Django shoots his junk off. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was pretty, I completely blocked that out. I forgot that that happened. There's, there's like so much happening, uh, but he's rigged Candyland to blow. Yeah. And then with the dynamite from that, the, the slavers, the had. slavers had. Yeah. Um, and he just takes out everybody else in Candyland <laughs> and then him and Broomhilda, or oh, he lights the fuse and he's wearing Calvin Candy's clothes, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they ride off, not before he dances on his horse quite a bit. Well, he uh, he he shoots Stephen in the kneecaps. Oh, yeah. And leaves him to blow up in the house. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, I, I loved, once again, Sam Jackson's performance in this, you know, because the whole time he's got a cane and he's kind of rickety. And then after, you know, it's just Jamie Foxx or just Django and Steven, uh, he stands upright and drops the cane and walks calmly toward him. And like he he's he was as much a villain, really, as Candy was. Uh, like he was just evil, spiteful. Yeah, I think he deceitful. was Django's villain and Candy was uh, Waltz's, Waltz's villain or uh, Schultz's villain. Mm-hmm. But yeah, blows up. uh Blows up the house with Steven in it. Uh, that horse that you mentioned uh, is Jamie Foxx's own personal horse. Yeah, that's it's crazy that he is that into horses that he has a horse that he is trained to dance like that. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about horses, but that sounds hard. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've never, I've never personally been around a dancing horse, but uh, horses are pretty smart. They're pretty smart creatures. Uh, but that was his personal horse named Cheetah that he had gotten uh, for his birthday like four years prior. That's crazy. So apparently Jamie Foxx is really into horses, which is kind of cool, random. One other thing that uh, we, we failed to, pardon me, one of the one other thing that we failed to kind of mention that I thought was really interesting, I, or maybe, maybe I did mention it. I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or, or uh, off air, um, but... Uh, it the whole uh like team up between Schultz and uh Django actually makes like some historical sense uh because in the 1800s there were specifically in the 1840s there were a lot of Germans that immigrated uh German revolutionaries that immigrated to the United States and most of those became a, a big part of the anti-slavery movement yeah, that's that was interesting to hear. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I think you did say that uh, on air. No, off air. Oh, and off so air. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I I think that's kind of cool. It's really cool. Um, and and a part of history and a part of this history in particular that I I definitely was not aware of. Yeah, same here. Uh, but yeah, Jamie Foxx is so into horses that when uh when uh, uh Christoph Waltz fell off the horse and broke his pelvis. He uh, gave him as a gift a saddle with a seatbelt. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like as like a 
like, I guess sort of like a ha ha gift, but <laughs> you know, there was, I guess, I don't know if we're done. I, th- yeah, I, I think so. Done. There was one other thing about this movie that I was thinking about as I was watching it is I feel like he did a great job of pulling in songs that I don't think ever would have fit in like a, like a pre-Civil War South period piece where we're listening to Jim Croce and Rick Ross even. Yeah, like, like Rick the Ross, rap, yeah. the rap yeah. songs and, yeah. and yeah. It was just like, I, I didn't even think about it until uh, I was watching my girlfriend. She's like, is this Rick Ross? And I was like, we are listening to rap. Yeah. But think about this. If it would have been Will Smith, imagine him coming out with his own Django song. That's true. He does, he does do songs for every movie, right? Yep. There actually is a comedian named Demi something. I can't pronounce his last name, but he kind of does this bit on his Twitter where he will play Will Smith creating original songs for like, like he did it for 12 years of slave. He oh, did it for no. like a bunch of other Oscar winning movies and they're all really freaking funny. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he up. did it for this one too. I'll have to look that up. Uh, well, uh, let's, uh, let's jump into favorite line, favorite part. I, I, I shared mine early. The, uh, the Alexander Dumas, uh, little dialogue bit. I think my favorite part, uh, thinking back is probably the opening when we mm. first meet King. And like, I think it was a great, I think it was a great tone setter for the whole movie. And like, I think it was a, I just a real solid scene anyways, but I liked that part. And we haven't mentioned yet. We'll have to give special, uh, special uh, honorable mention to uh, his horse Fritz. Yeah. Then <laughs> he would always say, I'm Dr. King Schultz and this is my horse Fritz. <laughs> yeah, and the horse would bow. bow its head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, it's just a great, like, yeah. like, yeah, great character writing for Schultz. We've pretty much already covered my favorite parts in lines, so I'm going to use this moment for honorable mentions. There's a, okay, there's yeah. a bit that I think is so hilarious a little bit early on. Um, Django does not play nice with the rest of Candy's hired mm. men. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he just walks up to one of them and just tears him down <laughs> on his he, horse. He pulls the horse down. Yeah, yeah, he pulls the horse down and falls on top of him. And the guy goes like, I broke my collarbone. And Candy's like, I saw the whole thing. No harm done. <laughs> just so dismissive. Get that man back up on his horse. <laughs> like he just broke his collarbone. Um, and then one of my favorite lines, a little bit like pretty early on in the movie, Django and um, Schultz go into this town. And uh, he just, he, just by bringing Django into this bar, the bar owner runs and goes and grabs the sheriff and then, and Schultz knows that this is what's going to happen. And he's expecting the sheriff to come because then he shoots the sheriff. And it turns out that the sheriff was actually a wanted man and that that was a bounty. Um, But then he's like, okay, now go get the marshal. And then he brings the (laughs) marshal and the marshal's like, you need to come out. And he's like, is this the marshal I (laughs) presume to be speaking with? And he, so he tells him to come out and he's like, um, he's like, do you promise that you won't shoot me? It's like the way that you shot poor Bill like a dog. And he's like, exactly. Do you promise that you will not shoot me down like a dog? <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. Yeah, that was pretty spectacular. I can't believe we brushed over that part just because that was so funny. I mean, it wasn't that consequential, but. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah well, it's, it's the first time that uh, Django gets introduced to what Schultz does for a living. Yeah. Uh, you show you shoot white people and they pay you for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love how he he lets Django pick out his outfits and he picks out these super eccentric yeah. mm-hmm. outfits. <laughs> oh man, Scott, favorite line, favorite part. Uh, I mean, I liked all the whole movie. There wasn't really any scenes where I was like, ah, we could have done without. I even the end after the, uh, he had died, uh, Waltz, it was still good. 
Well, I, I will say, I'll point out too, in that particular moment, because you and I took a minute to like note it, that one of the slaves that was being transported with him would like came to Candyland with, with, him. with him. And he was very resentful of Django uh, early. Yeah. And then uh, when uh, Django kills the Australians and he rides up to the, to the cage and he says, throw me that dynamite. And he throws him the dynamite and he rides, Django rides back and we just have this slow push on that, on that one man's face. And he just has this look in his eye and he smiles. Like he, he went from being like someone that he despised to his hero. Like it was just a a very cool moment. I think it's also kind of cool. Um, and like really speaks to just how good Tarantino is in that, with you, Scott, how you said um, that there wasn't a moment that you didn't think was good or like should have been a part of the plot. And you, I feel like more than the rest of us, and more often than not for good reason, one of your complaints is that there's not enough fat trimmed off of some of these movies that mm-hmm. we picked. And there's a lot of kind of inconsequential moments in this movie, but it just kind of goes to show that like it does all feel like it fits really well. And that yeah, like there, even you. I never once thought like, oh, okay, like, we need to move this along. Yeah. Like I was with it the whole time. Because even things that are uh, inconsequential to the plot are all very consequential to character development. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like, the, I mean, speaking about Tarantino doing that, I think, like, one of my, the first times I really noticed it, or, like, in one of the best examples is that scene in Reservoir Dogs he does, where they're just in the car talking about movies. Yeah, like, yeah. Why am I listening to this? But I really, but then I thought, like, I actually really like it. I'm yeah. glad it's here. Yeah, same. I feel the same way. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's, I mean, I, I can't necessarily think of anything, but, uh, we can try and do a recast if you guys have any, uh, any interesting either hot takes or like really cool, like I can't attempt to recast this movie. I, I tried to think about it and I can't, but I thought the only thing that would be kind of cool is to see this movie. If it was a spaghetti Western back in the day, like mm. one of the ones that would then eventually inspire Tarantino, it would have been kind of cool to see that. Yeah. I got to be honest with you guys. I'm terrible about thinking about recasts. I forget about it until we're recording. You're like, let's talk about recasts. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I got nothing. (laughs) Okay. I think if it would have been two Germans, two slaves, and they would have become best friends and one of them was getting married and they were going to like a bachelor party in Vegas. (laughs) 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 And then like one of them like spikes all their drinks with roofies. And then one of them gets lost. And the then one. they lose the yeah. group. And then Mike Tyson yeah. does drugs in the movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so Mike Tyson is who I would add. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tyson and his tigers. I'm really glad you brought that full circle. Yeah, <laughs> I am too. That was great. All right. Well, uh, it's time. It's that time of the, the episode where we uh, spin up our servers uh, on our uh, patented and uh, impossible to uh, impossible to compare servers. Uh, and we determine the Rotten Potatoes score of Django Unchained. Zach, what would you give this movie? I'm going to give this movie an 8.9 badass dentists. <laughs> Scott? I'm going to give it 9.3 exploding tooth carts. <laughs> tooth carts? <laughs> tooth carts. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give it 8.75 Polynesian Pearl Divers. Which is that cocktail that he makes that he orders. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, like, that's right. Candy. I missed a part of the movie. Candy. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> is this I, from The Hangover? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was from Steve Zissou. Oh, okay. And I'm going to give this uh, 9.1 Silent D's. 
All right, this movie came out to a 90% on Rotten Potatoes. This is our second uh, highest uh, rated movie. Um, it's tied behind uh, Braveheart and uh, A Few Good Men, which were tied at 91%. Uh, so this is our, they're, they're tied for first, so this is our second highest rated movie so wow. far. Which I'm not, I don't have a problem with. I, I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. Uh Thanks so much for listening along with us and uh, make sure to tune in next week where we're going to be doing Jake's movie. Ghostbusters. Yeah, so that ought to be interesting. Who are you going to call? Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that Ghostbusters is definitely a movie you should have seen already and one of the more, one like not more iconic, he has so many iconic roles, but a very iconic Bill Murray role. Yeah, this I think was one of my favorite movies that I watched in the theaters. Yeah? Yeah. In 84? Mm -mm, no, just a couple years ago. With oh, Kristen Wiig oh. and Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> the <laughs> original. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. say, you were the only late bloomer, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a little confused too, but that was a great bit. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's not going to be that movie. I've never seen that one, but my brother has, and he's, he swears it's the worst movie he's ever seen in his, in his entire life. Has he seen Sahara? <laughs> no, I, doubt it. I haven't seen Sahara. Um, that, if, if you ever want to get back at me, <laughs> yeah, that's the movie. I'm been. really, I've been waiting. It's just definitely not a movie you should have seen. Sahara or Face Off? Sahara is worse than Face Off. <laughs> Sahara or Napoleon Dynamite? Napoleon Dynamite's worse than Sahara. <laughs> I've already, man, I, I came out too quick. Like, yeah. the best one too fast. Yeah. Sahara has plot. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who says a movie needs to be bogged down with things like plot? <laughs> I mean, you could almost argue that Pulp Fiction doesn't really have a plot. No, it does. Yeah, it okay. does. Fair enough. It's just a non-linear plot. Sure. Uh, all right, uh, Scott. Do you have any uh, any final thoughts for our tots? Thoughts for tots. Thoughts for tots with Scott. Um, yeah. So Scott's tots. Are we going to give you a tot? I don't understand. Tater tots. Okay, but we <laughs>